This is the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. Hello there. Welcome. This is the Territory Story Podcast and it's a weekend. So it means it's the weekend edition and weekends with Bolshe. My name is Peter Gowers. Leon Logan-Nathan is uh, overseas this week doing some work uh, with Lawyers Associated Worldwide at their annual conference. So he'll join us again next week. Uh, We'll get straight into the introduction of our special guest from the NT Independent Online Newspaper, Mr. Chris Walsh. Walshy, hello there. Pete, good to see you. You too, my friend. And it's always cool when it's just you and me because it means we can go a little bit rogue. (laughs) (laughs) It's always a risk of that, yes. (laughs) Now, before we get started, I've got a couple of things I want to talk to you about. Yeah. One is we did get some feedback last week, at which which we played on last week's podcast. Yeah. And after after that, at some point, you and I spoke about some feedback that you received from someone. And I was pondering on that during the week, thinking, hang on a sec, I reckon this person's got the, the characters wrong. Because I was thinking, there's nobody more woke out of the three of us than Leon. Right? <laughs> and to say, oh, I like Leon the best because he's not woke like the other two. What? <laughs> well, yeah, she she didn't say the other two, but she, I guess, was implied by saying, I like him because he isn't idiots? woke. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I Like, I guess um, it depends on what, what specific topics you may or may not be woke to. Exactly. I don't know. Yeah, I don't exactly. know. I don't know. I, I think as a journalist, I just report what happens and then we yeah. talk about it. And, and I try and say as know. much dumb stuff as I possibly can <laughs> and just go out there and accuse anybody of everything. Now, all of a sudden, I'm more woke than Leon. I can't believe it. <laughs> That's unheard of. Anyway, yeah, hey, um, I'm talking to you for this episode from uh, Marty Brisbane, Bruce Vegas. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's funny, I... I um, I'm staying in a hotel. I, I did some. I'm doing some stuff with regards to my real estate. And I, um, when I went to book the hotel, I, I've I've become a bit of an avid reader of um, uh, reviews before I book in places. Yeah, and good idea. I was given a couple of hotels to to choose from that were close to where I needed to be today. And so anyway, I, I got here yesterday and. Uh, I looked at the place that was the closest and seemed like the most likely I was going to stay at. And look, the reviews by and large were pretty good, but there was this one review and it said, uh, yep, stayed there recently. Um, I've stayed there many times, but um, I'm not happy that they've got rid of the all-you-can-eat buffet breakfast, um, which I think was a COVID thing, to be to be fair. Um, but in recent times, I've noticed it's probably not as clean as it once was. Um, last time I was there, I even noticed some rat and mouse droppings, right? <laughs> and I thought, unless you're some sort of scientist, how the hell are you going to know? Like, it, it could be bloody cockroach stuff. You wouldn't know. Mm. So I sort of dismissed that, but it, it it stayed in my head. Anyway, so I got to the hotel. The check-in process was painful at best. Wait, wait, wait a second. You went to the droppings hotel that doesn't have the buffet breakfast you went you chose I, that one i went to the one that that review was on yes <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah thank you for pointing that out so i got there and i i, I immediately regretted my decision because <laughs> reception just weren't even remotely interested in giving a hand or 
Um, and I'd booked a ground floor room through the um, the booking website. Oh, no, sorry, we didn't get that. We've got you an upstairs room. I was like, mm. okay, great. Well, um, can I get some help then? Because I've got quite a few bags. And um, anyway, they then said, oh, actually, another guest hasn't checked in yet and they've got a ground floor room. You can have their room. I said, mm. okay, well, I hope they're happy with that, but fair enough. So I got to my room, unpacked, did all the normal things, just sort of got prepared. Then I had to go out and get some food because I, I booked a um, like a well because there's no buffet. You yeah, gotta go exactly. somewhere else to get food. Yeah, that's it. So I went up to the local Woolies. I bought a couple of nights dinners, some breakfast stuff, a few snacks, and some fruit and that. I get back, <clears throat> put it all away. It's all good. I, I cook dinner. And I've had a big day. I've been traveling, so I'm tired. I'm just ready to eat and relax for a while. So I cooked a big bowl of butter chicken, lots of veggies, some rice and the whole bit. Sitting on the couch, I'm four mouthfuls in. And I look down and a rat has run between my legs, out from (laughs) under the couch and behind the fridge. And I'm like, Uh, oh, my God. Dude. uh, when you read those sorts of reviews, take it in a bit more and have a think. So I'm yeah. like, okay, he's probably scared of me than I am of him. Yeah. This meal's hot <clears throat> and I'm not going to let it get cold and go through the whole rigmarole. So I'm going to eat my dinner <laughs> and then I'm going to call reception. So I call reception and I said, um, <clears throat> a rat's just run between my legs out from under the couch and, and run behind the fridge. And the woman says on the other end of the phone, okay, um, what would you like me to do about it? <laughs> and I said, well, change rooms, of course. Change rooms. Like, oh, but we're full. No, no, that's not acceptable. Yeah. So anyway, look, very long story short, which I won't bore you with the rest of it, but I, I, I had booked a one-bedroom villa and I'm now in a three-bedroom villa. Of course, I'm not using two of the bedrooms, but I just <laughs> And you're thought, up on top floor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I just thought there's no way that that was a new story to her because just yeah. the way she reacted, there, w- there was just not enough surprise in her voice. Well, look, if they're there in that room, they're in all of them. Let's be honest. Exactly. And uh, I know I've dealt with infestation. I will not tolerate infestation. Exactly. That's right, um, Mr. Costanza, we're moving. <laughs> it does upset me. It was upsetting. I've dealt with mice a lot in Halifax. I don't know why. I just had. I just developed this insane fear that there's nothing really to be afraid of. I guess they're, as you said, their droppings are toxic to us, but um, yeah. we can get sick. But, uh, yeah, no, I won't tolerate that kind of stuff. Is that like a chain, though? Is that like a well-known? No, it's, it's well yeah. enough that the, the one-star review I'm going to leave when I book out <laughs> is going to cause some pain. And I don't I'm, think you want that breakfast now. No, no correct. That, Thank yeah. God I brought my own. Um, <laughs> the one thing I will say, though, is because I've also had some infestation issues in the past, actually in Darwin, and um, – I, I at one stage I was the um, distributor for the gourmet nut company in the Northern Territory, <laughs> and who knew rats, like, yeah. <laughs> rats love sweet chili bloody cashews, right? <laughs> so, anyway, that was a surprise to all of us. But um, became the rat king. <laughs> I, I spoke to my friend, um, pest controller, and I explained the problem, and he said, "Do your kids go there often?" And I said. 
no, but they do go there. He goes, all right, well, I'm going to give you some stuff, but I'm going to warn you now. It looks like green cordial, so don't let the kids near it. I said, Mm. okay, well, they don't tend to eat out of bowls and stuff anyway, (laughs) mate. So if it's on the floor, I'm sure they should be fine. He goes, just just put a few out. And he said, the best thing about rats is once you kill one, they'll all go and they'll never come back. They work Mm. in family units. So I said, all right, fair enough. So I put these bowls down. And, you know, that was fine. Just sort of left them to it. Came in and out as required. And then about a week later, I came back. There was six dead rats uh, in in and around the uh, the, the warehouse area. And there's mm. never been one since. That's pretty ruthless, Pete. Uh, I know. Uh, I was just I hoping for the one, but we got the whole family. Yeah, I'd have, I'd have done the same thing. That's yeah. what you got to do sometimes. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah, well, so that is cold blooded, man. If you're listening and you've got a rat problem, get the green cordial stuff. It works like a charm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, look, uh, good. let's get into these stories. Uh, as always, you guys have been busy and there's lots to talk about. Number one, now, this is a story that honestly I was gobsmacked when I first, first read it, thinking, mm-hmm. what is going on here? But the files government has scrapped the public service pay freeze in what can only be described as a surprise announcement. <laughs> yeah, well, then, look, that's what we called it because um, it was a surprise announcement. At least we didn't see it coming. But, uh, yeah, they just issued a statement here on Wednesday morning saying, that's it, everything that we fought for for the last two years, we're throwing <laughs> out the door. Um did you, know, you thank Leah Finocchiaro and the CLP for coming up with the idea? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think they came up to take some bows or something. Um, yeah. You know, it was just, it's like one of the la- last remaining recommendations of that Langelon report to wow. fix the budget shortfall was to do this and that this needed to be done. You need to, to get this back instead of like sacking everybody. Um, and bringing the public service, not everybody, but of course, bringing it back into balance in some way, which would mean mass sacking. So they had recommended this is what you need to do. And I don't think now that they've implemented like any of those, there might be some behind the scenes stuff in terms of how they order finances. Like, I mean, technically put things together. Um, but yeah, for any of those savings measures that were needed, because remember, we were just hurtling towards the, this, yeah, just black whole of uh, yeah. oblivion for the finances of the territory and the economy as well. But um, uh, yeah, so now they, they haven't done anything. So they backflip now on this uh, on this uh, public service uh, wage freeze, which of course, you know, I guess we could kind of see this coming. It wasn't a total shock or anything, but it was a surprise announcement for when it happened, but not a total shock in the fact that files seemed ill prepared to deal with what was coming down and in terms of the unions right i mean we saw the strike we saw corrections guys go on uh guys and girls go on uh taking strike action first the teachers did too and then first it was the top end and it was all of the territory and they walked out and uh you know the schools were still allowed but you know they were working at reduced hours and um you just got the sense from from all of these unions right you had the fireys in there police you had 
that. Um, uh, a whole bunch of other about power and water people. Um, yeah, that, that, that this was, and I think we said something's got to give. I think we were talking about it one week here and yeah. said, it'll be interesting to see what Files does and how she deals with this. And does she back down? Does she not? Well, she's completely backed down now and said, uh, okay, the pay freeze is gone. Uh, and that we will be offering public servants a compounding pay rise of 2%. Now, that's the offer. Um, they'll take that back to the table, I guess, and, and negotiate and uh, with with the respective unions. Uh, she claimed at the time, Fawcett, that the, quote, economic situation has changed significantly. Yes. Now, uh, now what that meant. Just pause sure. for one second. Yeah, sure. Because this is the bit that got me. Mm. Most most governments, when this sort of thing happens, you think, oh, the economic conditions have changed significantly, <laughs> so we're financially better off now, yeah. so we can afford to dump some extra money. When yeah. I then went on to read this and go, oh, my God, yeah. do they even understand the concept of why you do or don't <laughs> have these things in place? Because the one they gave was the opposite reason to why you spend more money. Yeah, yeah. And look, yeah, if I was saying that the current budget forecasts an operating deficit of $253 million this financial year. That's just this financial year. Remember, when we're looking at $8 billion yeah. of debt, but just for this year, the deficit, $253 million, which she said was an improvement of $283 million compared to the position forecasted in last year's budget, which is so crazy to even try and bring that up, <laughs> bring up another budget from the year before that forecasted this. And so it's much better. And so therefore, we've got 200 and some million that we can play with. Um, and that uh, the aggregate forecast uh, is, is forecast to improve by nearly $1.4 billion over the four years. Ooh, that is so crazy. Now, what had happened was Gunner. Now, when Gunner brought this pay freeze in, and you remember this, and <laughs> the lump sum payments, it was 4000 up upfront, 1000 a year. Uh, he'd, saved, he'd said that that would save the territory about $424 million over four years. Yeah. Um, well... We what, got what, to the end of four years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what now? This is actually going to end up costing not only that, yeah. but they paid out for a, a, a big portion of the public servants and the CPSU members have all taken that deal. Yeah. So there's something now where they're going to be able to keep that, but they'll also get this, whatever the, the deal works out to be. So it's going to end up costing us over half a billion dollars, I think, yeah, by the looks yeah. of this, yep. um, if not more. And now Files was on radio today and they asked her and she's ah, look, we don't really know what this is going to cost at this point. Well, come on. If you don't know, you're completely incompetent. Yeah. You're not, I mean, you're saying that you haven't budgeted them for this. She's talking about budget forecasts from last year, this year, mixing it all together, talking about an aggregate over the next four years, yeah. which is just ludicrous. Like, that's just crazy. So anyway, this is uh, this is where we're at now. This is this is a complete debacle, though. Another any way you can look at it. I know she had nowhere to go. She felt she had to back down. But then why get into this issue from the beginning here? Gunner gets yeah. us into this. She tries to get out, but it's going to end up costing us so much more money than it needed yeah. to if they had us sat down at the table and done this. But again, look, they're following the Langland um, recommendations, which suggested doing this. Uh, they tried to do it. There was always this idea that they would they would give up on that before 
like the next election. Yeah. But That's, that would have been like that was three exactly years what I thought. That was yeah. exactly and, what and I, I thought. I think it was you sneaky uh, buggers. You know there's an election coming. <laughs> yeah. And I think uh, it was uh, CDU uh, economist uh, Rolf Gerritsen who had said yeah. that. And I think we had talked about that on here one time that he had said, you know, probably about the last year, they'll be three years into it. They know the election's coming up. They'll say, let's go back. She's done this now a year early, two years early. Um, so there won't be those savings. There won't, there's not going to be any of these savings because Zero. then they're going to go back and it's just going to end up costing us more. So they just screwed the books here again. Uh, anyway, look, I guess on the bright side of all of this, if we don't care about money and the <laughs> slaver government has shown that they don't care no. about the state of the finances, uh, the unions are, are celebrating. Uh, they're saying, look, this is um, this is uh, a great day for public sector union workers. Aaron Early said from Unions NT, we've campaigned hard and taken their anger to the streets and multiple protected actions, et cetera. We have won the battle to lose the freeze, and now our members can properly negotiate their conditions of employment. The chief minister has listened to the union members and agreed the public sector workers deserve better. Yeah, it does seem like she's listened to them and... Uh, yeah, had nowhere else to go. I mean, I think last week we were just talking about, well, if, if she's not going to budge on the pay, are there other things that they can do? Look, the, the teachers, if we take them, for example, here, they were saying, remember last week, we just did a story where they were saying, uh, if, you know, if, if the remuneration doesn't come back up, if they're not the, the, the best paid in the country, they'll be leaving it so hard to attract <laughs> teachers now. Because yeah. they were, I mean, they were the best paid in the country. So mm. if they're not now, there's already a nationwide teacher shortage. I think some of this stuff probably got into Files's head here and her government realizing that uh, and, and knowing what a the difficult uh, position was. And it is, it really is a difficult position to get into. And when you don't yeah. really understand what you're doing in the first place, when you've not been in these kind of negotiations before, when you haven't led yeah. any business or you haven't led any, even a union at that point. Anything um, more than a PA class. Yeah. The, yeah. And look, this is what we got in the, and the, the advisors too. I mean, there's no one there who's, who's done anything in the real world either. So yeah. So the government says, okay, let's, um, Let's just backflip on this. We'll put out a statement Wednesday morning and everybody will forget about it by Thursday. Uh, well, don't know about that. I think I think the problem with that and the way they executed this, too, is that they're not upfront about how much this is going to cost. Yeah. So this will keep being the question that will dog files now. And when it comes out, I mean, like I said, it's going to be way more than what it would have been if they had it just not done this. So. Um, anyway, the opposition, of course, CLP digging in, as you said, taking bows and uh, uh, said that it was an embarrassment. That removes one of their policies for any by election <laughs> to come up. Yeah. yeah, it was so weird they were doing that anyway. Um, <laughs> said it was only done, it was embarrassing, and it was only done because the government had lost the trust of its public servants after they were made, quote, the scapegoat for labor's economic mismanagement. Well, certainly there's been some economic and uh, financial mismanagement going on. Anyway, uh, Leo Fanacchiaro said yesterday the government was freezing pay. Today, the government is saying the economic situation has changed significantly. The only thing that's changed is the public service trust and the government finally hit zero, she said. Um, so that's it. How many teachers have already decided to leave the NT? Now they've made the humiliating backflip we call on the government to negotiate in good faith instead of throwing public servants 
take it or leave it offers. But I think, look, that's it. I mean, one day they're saying, look, we can't move uh, on anything. The next day, oh, the economic situation has changed significantly. Now, uh, I had to go and I'm, I'm reading this statement. I'm trying to make sense of this. Like, yeah. like really, right? Like we talked about anyway, I just will give you what files it said here. Uh, so she had said uh, to do where she files said the government was working to reduce cost of living pressures for all territorians. This was in the statement that came. Yeah, out. I know. This yeah, was just, I um, just thought, where are you going with this? To talk yeah. about the change, uh, it, things haven't changed significantly in the last two days. Let me tell you, inflation's yeah. been spiraling for a while. This is just a Especially really her, yeah. poor backflip, and <laughs> she's tried to blame it on things that have been a factor forever in the Northern Territory. Yeah, but well, and she says yeah. that with interest rate rises in Australia experiencing higher than normal inflation, the NT government is working to reduce the cost of living for Territorians through a number of incentives and schemes. The government remains focused on returning the budget to surplus in the medium term. And she didn't give any examples of the incentives and schemes. And I would think that the rest of us Territorians would be saying, well, what are you actually doing? I completely agree. Living for us. Like, good enough, you're giving the public servants a whole bunch more money now and you're not yeah. going to scrap the pay freeze. But what have they done? And she's given no examples here. No, and, and, and the thing is, right, how dare you talk about returning the budget to surplus in the medium term? So that's, that's a great <laughs> expression, right, because it's yeah. just far enough down the road that no one can actually timeline it, one. And two, you've yeah. done it off the back of spending more money <laughs> and not earning any more. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, but there's no way to actually for her to do that in the medium term. Now you remember the Gunner Gunner's last budget. They kind of got overshadowed by the fact that he resigned after doing that. Because yeah, that's a normal thing. And I believe there was a child running around the budget (laughs) room (laughs) as well. (laughs) But you know, like, and that was the media had taken it because they had done the spin, and we're going to get into the spin a bit more, I think, in the next story about how government spin this. And I can give you some good examples of this government in particular, and just the atrocious uh, levels that they'll stoop to to uh, to try and trick the public. But back then, I mean, they had the ABC running a story where they were playing ACDC back in black and had Gunner walking down the hall as if he had balanced the budget. What he actually said was something like three years from now, we project that yeah. there may be close to it. So it wasn't even a surplus. It was close to a surplus. Yeah. And then it was like, he came out, he was a hero and all the media didn't check the actual numbers. They just wrote what was in the press release. That was <laughs> um, and because look, yeah, we're, we're nowhere close to that. This is going to set it back years. Uh, yeah, even if they, they thought on the best case scenario that three years from now would be close to not, it would be close to having a balanced budget. But that's out the window now, and that's not going to yeah, happen and, anytime soon. And look, just a piece of advice to anyone from the government who's listening, backflip on things all you want. That's fine. That happens all the time. But please don't do it in a way that makes it sound like, well, we've done something good, so we're going to then backflip and give something back. Mm-hmm. You, did, you didn't improve the budget. You didn't improve the financial <laughs> yeah, factor so you could then spend more by having the pay freeze slashed. Yeah. You're basically saying, oh, the, w- we were in debt. We can't get it balanced. We can't get anything right. Oh, something about medium term. Oh, and by the way, we've got rid of the pay freeze. No, all of that doesn't go together. My yeah. God. Uh, yeah, Pete. No, it's exactly right. And I'm trying to think. And you, you raise a point there. I'm trying to think, and I'm I'm actually trying to look here. Uh, do you remember when 
this happened when Gunnar brought in the pay freeze and he had said he was going to do something with this $424 million in budget savings over four years. Uh, and I'm trying to find what that is and might not be able to find this here. Was that to uh, do with his, um, that was to do with the, um, when they had to offload the government workers who weren't going to get vaccinated and they were going to use that money for. Yeah, um, there was, yeah, there was some savings there. Um, yeah. And, and we're not sure that that happened. Um, yeah, I'm, no, it was I'm just, quite sure it didn't happen. But we'll never yeah, know. And the 424 million. Anyway. Yeah. Look, I can't find that off the bat, but look, that, that, that significant amount of money that uh, look could have gone to paying down debt could have gone to a lot of things. But like I said, it's now going to be more than that, that it's actually going to cost us. So yeah, like you said, they've, they've done nothing here. If he had found a way or if files had found a way, I guess, to um, somehow offset the 424 million that they're going to lose now, which will be more than that. If she found a way to offset that and said, look, guys, I went through the budget with the treasury. We'll all there. We just did an all nighter. We found ways to save this money. We know how we can do this now. I mean, we'd all be like, ah, we'd applaud, right? But, yeah, yeah, we you know, th- these people are never going to do something like that. No, and there's no all nighters being pulled, Chris. There's no, not no, even <laughs> Treasury staff wouldn't dare do that. No, and I think the point was made, you know, like when, when you said that she referred to this budget, that budget, wasn't really quite sure about this or that. It's just, look, at the end of the day, I mean, I, I think – we can only blame ourselves for this happening because the fact is that they got voted back in at the last election. There was many reasons why they shouldn't have. And I know that um, Michael saved the free world because of COVID, but <laughs> it just, yeah, I mean, they've, they've basically done a very, very good job of confusing everything they've done. <laughs> And and no one really knows what's going on. It's all just spin. <laughs> no, neither do they. So that it's works all just well. Jobs, 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 and spin, 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 Chris. Yep. And then when you when you actually what we use to keep score here, which is the actual budget and the, the numbers themselves, and then you yeah. know we'll get to the next budget. It'll be worse than ever. Yeah. And then some other story will come out about how great it is. Yeah, um, and medium term will get some. Yeah. They'll, they'll use the word surplus and medium term in there. They won't be related, but people will think, oh, hang on. We're going to be back in black soon. Great. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. Not going well. All right. Look, let's move to the next story. Um, And this, you know, comes back to a topic we've talked a fair bit about um, over the the journey with the Weekends with Walshie episodes. The minimum alcohol floor price impact on harm is difficult to assess, according to a report. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, you wouldn't know that if you just read the government press release that was <laughs> that was inconveniently published in the NT News unquestioned. Yeah, um, right. And maybe that was what, you know, one of the drops, because I think they put it out at 6 a.m., so they probably gave it as a drop to the NT News, but the NT News buried it anyway. Um, maybe not probably because their people, everyone who works there wasn't around in 2018 when this thing came in, and That's they don't know what the controversy is. But uh, look, this was a controversial measure. If you're read the the story um the press release the government approved story it is that um well this uh minimum alcohol floor price also known as the mup the minimum unit price uh has been a tremendous success this uh evaluation this report that's been done now and finally made public uh four years after 
this policy came into place mm. um, shows that, uh, yeah, huge success. Uh, the policy should stay in place. It's reduced. And like, it is so funny. You got to read this press release and how they did this. Uh, that, uh, what was it? The uh, files celebrated this whole thing, saying that uh, to, that the report showed alcohol-related harm reduced, quote, across a range of key areas since 2018 with a 25.8% decline in alcohol-related assaults. Okay. So that's... Positive. The report did find that. The report yeah. reported that. Now, right. what the report actually found was that those reductions were, quote, difficult to attribute to the introduction of the minimum floor price. Right. And that while alcohol-fueled assaults were down in the rest of the territory, there was no data to suggest that there were any reductions in the greater Darwin region. This suggests, this is from the report, this suggests the reduction in alcohol-related harms is likely to be related to policy interventions other than the MUP, including local licensing arrangements and PALIs. That's the police auxiliary liquor inspectors. Right. Then we know is they are down in, in Central Australia and outside of Darwin. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, so this is, this is the kind of spin that they put on all of this. Now it says we can't attribute this to the minimum floor price yet yeah. files is out saying, Hey, look, they found this and this is all good. This is what this is all about is from this. Now the evaluation report was conducted by a group called frontier economics. It stated that the only firm effect that, that I could find in this report. And I, and I looked at it. I actually had the audacity to go and, and read the key findings okay, yeah, and yeah. some other parts. Yeah. Um, was that the minimum unit price, so the alcohol floor price, uh, achieved, the only real effect it achieved was to decrease sales of cask wine, but yeah. said that the evidence suggested the, quote, drinkers had shifted to other products, right, including yeah. spirits. So they just stopped selling casks of wine. Right, but is that what the price is is put on more than anything else? Yeah, that's really what it came right. down to. It, it, what is it, a dollar thirty per unit? And so that that's what it affected. But like, no cared, right? Like yeah, everybody yeah. else. So, um, and this is the quote from the report. Now, if they had a read it, it's it's highlighted under the key findings. It's highlighted in big. Do not mention this. <laughs> and no, and like I think like fourteen. <laughs> <laughs> point font <laughs> there is evidence of a reduction it says this in the key findings me and, and yeah. it's really big there is evidence of a reduction in alcohol related harms but it is difficult to attribute this to the mup right the interaction it also found between the mup and other alcohol related policies is unclear yeah uh, the key findings also found that COVID-19 had a more significant impact on many key outcomes than of the course, MUP. Of it, course. It, yeah. Um, okay. According, yeah, now, this is like, you know, I, I was just taken all the way back because I'm looking at this. And I think the guy, uh, if I could pull that up, what he said was uh, interesting. The guy who did this report. And uh, I reached out to him and we couldn't connect here. I'll still try and talk to him about this because I... You know, I've been doing this a long time and I kind of get the sense sometimes when people are, well, I read between the lines, right? And I kind of, yeah. when people are crying out for help mm. and they're like being held hostage or something, like I kind of get a sense of that. And I kind of yeah. get a sense that, oh my God, the guy who did this report, look out, they got him at, at gunpoint in, in the Gerwin gulag out there <laughs> where I used to put people. Yeah. And I thought, okay, well, 
well, we better, we better check in because this is what he said. <laughs> so remember this guy he spends a year doing this. They paid him $337,000 yeah. frontier economics. Uh, Danny price frontier economics. He says the MUP is another weapon in the fight to reduce harmful alcohol consumption in the NT. The whole community benefits when there is less harmful drinking. Okay. That's true. That's it. And that's I love it. it. Yeah. It's a fact. A weapon. <laughs> well, wow. it is something, but the whole community benefits when there's less harmful drinking. Well, who's going to argue with that? You going to argue with yeah. that? Well, exactly. And this well, is a, this is a weapon, another weapon in the fight to reduce harmful alcohol consumption. So even that. What are the other that, weapons? Well, you got the pallies and you got, uh, okay. Which is the big one. I, mean, I think that they've gone yep. with that saying, look, the, the police auxiliary at the liquor stores in Alice Springs and Denham yeah. Creek yeah. are having the biggest effect on, on what's going on there. Really? And why are they not here? Because we've seen reductions slightly yep. in alcohol-related harm there, but we haven't seen it in Darwin. And that's what the report finds. So why why is that? It's got to be something else. Correlation isn't causation. Although <laughs> this report, he's pushing this to, you can see where he where the government wants him to go with this. And, yeah. and you know, not anything personal on him or, or frontier economics. They seem to have done this well within the range of what's acceptable standards. Mm. Um, but like I said, when I read that, I thought, Oh, ooh, they wanted him to say something more than that. And he, right. that's the best he can say is it's yeah. a weapon in the fight to reduce harmful alcohol consumption and the community benefits when there's less harmful drinking. Um, I've seen this before, right? Like with these reports, uh, and one of the most famous ones, Pete, that, that was hilarious that they gave us was uh, way back at the Dan Murphy's time. And I, I was at the NT yeah. News at the time. Me and Ben Smee were still there. So it was, I think, uh, late 2016, early 2017. And uh, 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 Dan Murphy's the government, for no legitimate reason, just said, you're not coming in here. You're too big. It's over 400 square meters. I remember before the election, they had pledged the yep. hospitality NT that it would only be 400 square meters, which incidentally kept everybody else happy. He's already got a liquor license here. Yep. Yep. Um, so the government said, we said, like, where did you even come up with this? Because then this thing's getting leaked around this promise that Gunner and Elflin already had made to industry yep. to keep, to keep, basically to keep. Uh, Dan Murphy's out. And uh, so they send over a report and they're like, oh, yeah, it's all in there. The report, it's a whole review that was done. Very scientific. Uh, <laughs> shows that the size of a liquor store actually impacts on, uh, you know, harm in the community. And so yeah. we we're like, okay, well, and they, the way they did it and they just sent it and they honestly think, and well, clearly it works these days. Back then it didn't work for them because they thought we wouldn't read it. Yeah. <laughs> they think we were that just stupid. To read. <laughs> yeah, that we wouldn't like say, okay, well, yeah. have a look at it before we're not going to take their word. The government's word. Yeah, they yeah. don't do journalists don't do that in this place anymore. It's like, well, the government said it, so it must be true. Yeah. Yeah. But no, we went and looked at it and we went back and we said, exactly where does it say that the size, and it, it's not only that, the report you sent us on this other one we've gone and looked and there's no report anywhere that yeah. shows that yeah. the size of a of an alcohol store or retailer um yeah. in any way affects alcohol harm or increases harm in the community right <laughs> i don't know maybe somebody's been able to do one now in the time since i don't know but at that time it didn't exist but this is what they do with these things and they really try and find a way to um 
to, to get what they want, their point across and all of this. But even with this one, it was really struggling. Now, at one point, and, and, and they did uh, Frontier Economics get back to me on that and was just kind of um, a loose uh, conversation. But they did say at one point in here, and I think it's on page 71 of the report, that um, uh, that there was, in fact... Uh, I'm trying to find this. I think it said some evidence, <laughs> some evidence <laughs> that the Possibly. minimum, <laughs> yeah, that the minimum unit price had uh, had led to less consumption or something. Mm. Um, now that's thrown out the window by that that whole Australian Criminal Intelligence Commission wastewater analysis report from June which found that the NT had the highest estimated average capital city and regional consumption of alcohol in the country as of last December. And they get that from the wastewater? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Who knew there was so much wastewater testing going on in this country? And since COVID, they seem to test the wastewater for everything. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. Look, the the other thing here that Files pointed to that we have to say was correct. This was correct. Mm. She said it did not have special note of this. This was correct. Did not have a negative effect on the liquor industry, tourism, or the NT economy. So one people didn't stop coming to the NT because uh, cask wine went up in price. Oh my god! They literally did that. Yeah. Any tourist tourist that comes to Darwin and drink or anywhere in the Northern Territory and buys cask wine ought to hang their heads in shame. (laughs) Damn it. (laughs) <laughs> well, you know what, that was, yeah, yeah. Um, like I said, though, I mean, they have these things, correlation doesn't mean causation and whatever, <laughs> right? Like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, th- it didn't affect the NT economy. Okay. the uh, It didn't have an effect on the liquor industry. Now, as we say in this report here, that is what the report found. And quote, it said, quote, overall, the effect on retailer revenues was small as increased margins compensated for decreased volumes. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. So they made more money. So everybody's happy yeah, here yeah. and all of this. Um, Files claim the minimum floor price was effective. It would stay in, pla- in place. She said the minimum unit price is just one component of our broad alcohol reforms, but this evaluation shows it does have a place here in the territory. While we acknowledge there is still more work to do across the territory, this evaluation is a good indication that we are on the right track. Mm. Uh, Yeah, but not really with this. Now, they did, the report did come back and it said um, it did provide recommendations. But first, before we get to that, I, I just need to point out this, that the report suggested the future research in this area mm. should look at, quote, a, a number of key questions. Ah. And said, I don't know what those are. And Sounds said, comprehensive. Yeah, and said that it had, I, I quote, identified a range of issues where there is incomplete or missing data. Now, when you're reading a report like this, it's supposed to be a scientific report. That's telling you right there. That's a warning sign. We couldn't yeah. do everything yeah. that we wanted to do here because mm. um, now, despite not being able to conclude that the minimum unit price by itself had accomplished much, the report recommended keeping the minimum floor price in place. They did because there was, quote, as I said, some evidence it had impacted consumption, but then went on to say that any increase to the floor price would impact both harmful and moderate consumers. So kind of warning the government not to mm-hmm. go any higher with this. The report also recommended that the government define what it means by, quote, harmful consumption and moderate consumption. 
So they don't have right. these terms defined. Right. Although okay. they're doing a whole report that's got three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Yeah. Um, as well as ensure proper data collection be undertaken to support quote robust policy analysis. Again, that's really troubling that they don't have proper data being collected here and they're doing this stuff. And even this report can't do that. Um, yeah, while remaining consistent uh, across different regions, because the researchers pointed out it was difficult to determine the timing and effect of different alcohol policies. So they couldn't right. say what was, was it the pallies that was working? Was it this? What worked? Probably yeah. wasn't this. It was probably pallies they yeah. kind of get to. Um, yeah, Ms. Files said the recommendations will be considered by government. Uh, the opposition, of course, came out and said they were cherry picking results of the report that it only looked at limited data. During a limited time frame, um, I'm not even sure that they're right about that. The CLP yeah. it looked like it did look at uh, COVID uh, yeah. related stuff because it actually had a finding and a key finding saying COVID did more than yeah. this. Uh, the files government can pull the wool over our eyes with these deceptive reports, but it's not the reality of what Territorians are living and breathing every single day. So CLP, MLA, Mary Claire Boothby. Darwin and Palmerston is littered with now with empty bottles of spirits and broken spirit bottles instead of the cans and empty casks. Mm. No one is falling for this glossy government report. And this is a good point here. Additionally, this report really shows the Pallies are working in Alice Springs, Tennant Creek, and Catherine. And we question why there are no Pallies in Greater Darwin. Yeah, it's a fair call. Um, mm. I wonder if that uh, is a bit of a metaphor in all that, Chris. Uh -huh. that, uh, Darwin and Palmerston is now full of broken spirits. <laughs> Isn't there a boulevard called that in Palmerston? Weren't we, there? weren't we on that boulevard? We were mean? on that boulevard of broken dreams at one stage. <laughs> we sure were. I think look, you can look at the upsides. I think the upsides yeah. are these, Chris. Um, imagine how much the report would have cost if they'd got all the answers. So, um, <laughs> well, you're looking at over a million. And, right. and I'm just. Um, Pleased that it wasn't suggested that uh, there was a 25% reduction in these um, crimes because there was 25% less reporting than there had previously been. Yeah. That, that can often be the case in these sort of situations. Oh, yeah, there's so many. There's so many factors here. And look, yeah, and I don't want to disparage this company. Um, uh, they, no, they, they've they, done nothing Frontier wrong. Economics. No. no, look, you know, they've, they've got this government contract. They got paid way too much, I think, for it. But, and, you know, they're trying to, to, to find what they can find. But they're yeah. also, they also have to adhere to their strict guidelines of policies. And they appear to have done that in this. So where they yeah, say yeah. there's some evidence that this has worked, that's fine. But really, we get back to the main takeaway here is that there is evidence of a reduction in alcohol-related harms, but it's difficult to attribute this to the minimum to unit what it price. Is. Yeah. yeah. And I think whoever came up with the minimum unit price concept and decided to name it the MUP re <laughs> really needs to look up why people refer to other people as Muppets most of the time. <laughs> or, yeah, or politicians it's, most of the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah correct. It's just it's way a, too close. Oh, uh, this is anyway. this has got this is an Elf Leonardi classic right yeah, there. Right. That's what it yeah. sounds like to me. And I actually I actually did want to point out before, because you mentioned um Dan Murphy and look for those who are not familiar with it, because obviously it's it's uh, not in Darwin, um, <laughs> it, it's more affectionately referred to these days as Bunnings for Drunks. So uh, Yeah, quoting the great Alf Leonardi. Um, you know, when I was at the Bunnings for Drunks, Pete, I don't know if I yeah. told you this, when I was at yeah. Cannes last time, 
and I and I was like, I went in and I was like, oh man, it's so good to have a dad Murphy's. And I was going to buy it. And the guy's like, Do you want to sign up? Like, Hell yes, I want to sign up. What do you need? Yeah. <laughs> what do you need for me? I'll give you whatever ID you want. Yeah. And um I'll give so you I my baseball up. logins if you want them. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Whatever Dan wanted. So um so I'm on this list. And anyway, I got talking to the guy and he said something like, Oh, you're from the NT. And I said, Yeah. And uh and I said, yeah, and we can't get one there because of, you know, certain corrupt issues and what have you. And he said, um, oh, well, I think the reason is, you know, we've got a lot of problem drinkers there. And, and I just kind of chuckled to myself and I didn't tell him what I did. But I yeah. said, yeah, um, I just tell you that's not the real reason we don't have a damn Murphy's. <laughs> All right. I just yeah, I'll yeah. tell you that that's not the real reason. I kind of know what's going on up there. It's uh, not an above board government. Uh, that's mm. the reason we don't have a Dow Murphy's here right now. And take a tour around Australia, mate. I think you might find some problem drinkers wherever you look, son. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're not exclusive to the Northern Territory. Anyway. No. All right. Look, let's move on to the next story. And uh, we, we, we referred to this story last week. So it's um, the Deputy Chief Minister has come out and said no change to the law um, despite say stating that the Red Centre Nats Burns victims have effectively slipped through the cracks. Yeah, so yeah, following up from that settlement, um, which was a bizarre story like we talked about, like they really had no redress anywhere here. Uh, These dozen or so people who were uh, horribly burned in this incident in the Red Centre Nats back in 2017, just horrible incident like we said that like a doctor treated them so it was like 400 degrees the temperature of that mm. from that car um and the methanol fuel when it was doing burnouts but what had happened was of course that there weren't proper barriers in place people were right there it was just a, a thin wire fence or something separating them so mm. it's a horrific scene now like we talked about last week too was that uh that that uh the laws are, are such in the nt that you're not going to be able to sue for negligence here and get any damages awarded because it was involving a vehicle. Um, so it goes under the, the max scheme, the motor accidents compensation commission, scheme, yeah. <laughs> which I mean, for something like this, I mean, that's this loose, is, isn't it? yeah, clearly negligent. Now that scheme only covers medical costs and 85% of average wages while people remain injured but does not factor in other compensation uh, and is paid through car registrations. <laughs> um, now, what Madison said, so sorry, yeah, just uh, to, to clear that up. So she hasn't come out. This was when, this was back in 2018. So a year after this had happened, uh, uh, David Wood's gone back here. He's talked to some people. He's talked to CLP. He's talked to Terry Mills. We were talking about him. Yeah. who was big on this. And um, so in 2018, they realized, oh, there's a problem here. I mean, these people have been horribly injured. They're going to have, you know, life-altering challenges as a result of this. This is clearly negligence on Absolutely. Part of, of people there. So, okay, we've got to change this. So now we see four years later, the NT government has not amended the law to allow people to sue event organizers for negligence if they're injured by a car, despite... Deputy Chief Minister Nicole Madison stating in 2018 that the spectators who have been burnt were exactly the type of situation we need to look at, that they had felt fallen through the cracks. Um, and this is just go back and see what they said and what they've actually done. This is yeah. so typical of this government. 
that say that they're going to do something and then uh, well, we got other things we got too busy and yeah. really who cares anymore now uh what had happened was there was a debate in parliament in august of 2018 terry mills uh had raised it as a matter of public importance uh and nicole madison responded that there was a whole of government review into the insurance of events of major events like this uh she said the review is to ensure consistency of insurance for events and making sure they have the appropriate level of coverage. This is exactly the type of situation we need to look at. This work is being led by Treasury in conjunction with major events and, and Dipple. Uh, we're not talking about completely changing the MAC scheme. We need to look at the specific situation because it is unique. We need to see how it has fallen between the cracks and what needs to be done about it. Well, apparently nothing. Apparently, they looked at it and they did nothing. Wow. Two weeks before Madison made that statement in the parliamentary debate, uh, the then Attorney General and now Chief Minister Natasha Files was quoted in an ABC story saying that existing compensation in the NT was fair, she thought, because it was available to all injured people without the need to prove someone was at fault. But in that debate that had happened, she said the government regularly reviewed legislation to ensure it meets the needs it was originally designed for. As a government, she said, we want a fair and accessible system that supports our community, and we're open to considering changes if they are deemed necessary. She then went in to discuss hybrid systems in other jurisdictions, such as Tasmania and New South Wales, uh, which operate uh, a hybrid model with a no-fault scheme, as well as the ability to also make a common law claim for damages if the victim can prove the person responsible for their injuries was negligent. In this mm -hmm. case, the government and these organizers, uh, well, these organizers on this. Uh, yeah, and they said that uh, Lauren Moss had spoken to the member for Blaine, who was Terry Mills, so placate him, uh, and that she's happy to meet with people and continue working through this issue that apparently never happened. There was, in fact, in 2019, an amendment to that legislation, uh, but this was to permit claimants, only claimants who are of pension age, to receive loss of earning capacity benefits for up to two years, but no changes to the hybrid systems Ms. Files mentioned, or no changes to the current system that would have allowed for these hybrid systems. So, uh, yeah, Woody sent questions to Madison and Files and then Tourism Minister Lauren Moss and current Treasurer Eva Lawler. Uh, Attorney General uh, Chancey Pake and Major Events Minister Paul Kirby. But of course, the policy still remains. Mm. And even on something like this, they, they can't respond. And of course, I guess they wouldn't because we're kind of going back and saying, well, you guys said you were going to do something and then you didn't do anything. Yeah, yeah. And here these guys are still, like these victims of this horrible event are still kind of hanging out there. And, like the money they're getting, they'll be too, right? Like the, the settlement on this whole thing was ridiculous. Even if they split it up evenly, it's 130 each. Yeah. <laughs> and we're told that it's, that's not how it's going to be split up. So you got people yeah. who, who are affected for life, who are getting nothing. Maybe a year's salary, half a year, I don't know. Um, yeah, so uh, Steve Edgington um, from the CLP, uh, Attorney General and Justice Spokesman, he said that clearly that max scheme uh, is in need of reform. Time and time again, we've heard from constituents that have had endless frustrations with the way the scheme is administered. Hopefully, the settlement of this recent court action will provide comfort to the victims of the Red Center Nats disaster. But going forward, we need to have a good look at changes that need to be made to the scheme overall. 
uh, back in 2018 during that debate. Again, Leah Finocchiaro uh, also committed to that. She would said, uh, yeah, that they need to change um, how it would work, that hybrid system, one that allows for injured persons to seek additional compensation in the instance of reckless or intentional harm. That needs to be considered. Wow. So, yeah, it looks like they're on it. Uh, the government, though, still won't comment on this. Now, yeah, like we said, the, the, the $3.2 million settlement, a million of that straight away going to pay the lawyers, uh, which will leave each of them with about 183000 Sorry, I stand corrected. Uh, after legal costs are paid, but exact details of the distribution remain confidential. Yep. And um, so that's not, uh, yeah, they're not going to see anywhere near that. Um so uh where are we here now this was the thing like we talked about this so they had to get creative and how they could sue right and um and then i still don't know all the legal uh maneuvering that went on here but they did they did get this up and they took the settlement because uh uh well and i think the judge at the time he had put that up bromwich said gratuitous payments uh were made by various respondents to all groups which were not sought to be recovered. So payments had already gone out, but the case was settled by the applicants instead of going to trial because of the uncertainty of, of the success. So just as Robert Bromwich had said in his judgment that the matter was complicated and that because the injuries were caused by a car, he questioned whether the court action taken was actually precluded by the terms of the MAC scheme and that a question to the extent of loss and damage that could ultimately be proven remained the risk of appeal if the case was successful was also flagged as an issue. So even if they had won something, this is why the settlement, they could have lost everything yeah, and, right. and had to pay costs. And On stuff. appeal. <laughs> yeah. So um, this was just, this is just a terrible situation and how this has been allowed to happen. And, and they, it really they, is. Uh, yeah. And the government. And don't event organizers have, um, Public liability insurance? Yeah, you would think, right? Yeah. But because, and for some reason with this one, because it was a car. But yeah, you would think that they still have to have that yeah. and how this was allowed to go on like this. Uh, so they said, okay, so the government says, look, we accept that this fell through the cracks and we got to fix this. Four years later, nothing. A year yeah. later, they've, they've changed it so that pensioners could get something for no more than two years. Did not change anything here and hoped it would just go away and it has for them. Again, like everything else. Yeah, I thought the pensioners one was curious. So they changed so that pensioners could can obviously earn income. Um, yeah, look, yeah, I'm not. These I'm are not people who don't earn income, other than no, pensioners. So, yeah, I know, and you've got like these people in the middle of their lives here yeah. who are working and stuff who are damaged forever. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, yeah, and, and just Mills, I think his point when he had brought that up back when he was in Parliament, how is it the victims that he just said what basically use it? Yeah. How is it that the victims at a public event could not access public liability insurance for some millions of dollars? Yeah. Um, why should the scheme reach outside of itself to stop people claiming benefits from elsewhere as well? It does not make sense. No, it just doesn't make sense, like a lot of other things. But mm. you look at it and you think, on the face of it, that's precisely what public liability insurance is for. Yeah. So uh, this, this scheme somehow protected them against and, that. And, and, and the it. other thing, too, is I, I'd look into this, right, and say, okay, well, you want to include this under your MAC scheme. Well, you know, fair enough. It's good that you have a scheme in case there's a, you know, motor accident that that requires 
people to get compensation. But if that car's running methanol fuel <laughs> and doing burnouts, then it's yeah. not under the normal guise of like motor accident. No. Stuff, yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I mean, uh, they have these lawyers in them. And, sure and those cars generally aren't registered for the roads. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, but anyway. technically, it was a car. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I find the whole thing bizarre. Yeah, look, I, yeah, they've got to do something about this. And I hope the pressure keeps on them. But we're yeah, like, I do. I, no one else is going to do anything here at this point. So, anyway, I think we've got more coming on this, too. We've okay. got some different angles. So, We'll, okay. we'll definitely be keeping the pressure on and keeping people talking about it because it does need to be fixed because it could be anybody this happens to next. Yeah, correct. Uh, right. That that's the that's the thing is you feel bad for the current victims, but you feel bad for any future victims for this sort of thing if it's children not. and yeah. everything else. And this is God. Just, yeah. and I'll, before we move on to the next story, I will tell you because you, you sort of alluded to it before. There was some terrible bushfires uh, in the eighties, and uh, some friends of my aunt were caught up in it. They were in their home and the home got burnt down and mm. they, they got, you know, burnt from bushfires. And my aunt was telling me that for the rest of their lives, they have to deal with those burns day in, day out from the temperatures they can go in and out of, not mm. going into sunlight to the way they sort of have to do things for the rest of their lives and you yeah. wouldn't wish it on your worst enemy. Yeah, yeah. No, that's terrible. Uh, Pete. Yeah, anyway. yeah. And and these people, yeah, are not getting anything back for for their suffering from negligence. Like it. Yeah, it from negligence. So yeah. All right. Well, from one bizarre story to the next, um, the mystery of the bus assault deepens uh, as a different child has now been arrested, according to police. Have you been following? This. Have you well, been following this drama? I have, but is... even just reading the headlines, confusing. So let's let's give us a timeline uh, on what's happened and what's occurred here. I think I'm at the point as the editor that I'm just kind of fed up and tired. With this. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you fill in the blanks. Yeah. Um, so the latest. So look, this this the, the police put up this thing. It's a disgusting and cowardly act, they say, and that and the story comes out that that there's a 12 year old girl who is assaulted by an adult, you know, a, a woman on a bus from Parap to uh, the Casarina bus exchange. Once at the at the bus exchange, she comes off the bus after being assaulted by the woman. Uh, two other adults come in and bash her. And Whoa. yeah, right. So everyone's like, Jesus Christ, like what, how does this happen to a child on a bus? Yeah. Well, you know, well, she's taken to the hospital, cuts and bruises. Um, uh, there's appears that there's a lot more to this story. Okay. And, um, but you know, at the time, like that was Sunday night. Now, Sunday afternoon, we had a story in the, in the paper about how, um, or on the site that, uh, Bus drivers on that very day were rallying apart, just calling talk for about that. more protection, saying, "Yeah, you know." I think one quote from one of the drivers was, uh, "I know people who he said our regular customers will stop have stopped riding because they're afraid for their own safety on yeah, there." Yeah. And and you know, us as drivers, he's saying we need to be protected. We're worried too, and then they wanted better screens, I guess, to protect them. Yeah. And now this follows from the transit security officers being given greater powers to arrest and ban yeah. people. Um, but the, the drivers were saying that's all well and good, but you know, 
we could still be assaulted. We'd like to be blocked in and, yeah. and do this glass screen kind of thing cage. Um, and I'm I, happy I to, I'm, I'm happy sure to they, chip in for some baseball bats for the drivers too. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's where it looks like it's going. So then, so that happens in the rally. And then that night, the next day, the police put out this uh, release saying that a 12 year old is assaulted, physically assaulted on, on, the, on the bus by, by three adults, which is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> well, the next day, the police put out a, a statement saying, or two days later, saying um, uh, who's that that they've determined now that there was a, a woman of Asian appearance. That's how they put it, of Asian appearance, who was wearing a, uh, a purple top and a purple skirt. Okay. She kind of she, <laughs> she was on a bus on the number three bus from Casarina to Moyle on Saturday evening. This is 24 hours before, I guess, something like that, before the, the, the child is attacked. She was attacked or was allegedly assaulted by a, quote, group of girls. Um, so things are getting weird here. And, like, the cops oh. are being needlessly vague or, you know, I guess how they always want to be, which is not revealing much yeah um, but saying look that they want this uh, woman of asian appearance to uh present herself to police come forward and tell them what they know now okay well this is all getting a little weird now um uh now today i think late thursday they're saying now that this uh that <laughs> a new character is entered the drama. Oh, okay. Yes. And this is to, a 13 get more year writings that put a new character. <laughs> you know, this six part French play that we find ourselves <laughs> in here. And I don't mean to minimize, you know, no, people no. being assaulted, but like, what the hell is going on here? So now yeah. they've got, so it's now the just police, to keep up, Chris. Oh, yeah, I know. I'm, and I'm trying yeah. to, to go slow. But the, uh, <laughs> so now we've got a new character who comes in, a 13 year old makes an appearance a 13 year old girl makes an appearance and she's promptly arrested and charged and and was to appear in court today the original assault of the 12 year old not sure like dressed up as an adult (laughs) they said that she was involved in what they're now calling the incident (laughs) right stock we we Uh, the phone somewhere calling all these instructions in like a yeah like a mafia don they, they did not explain in the statement what role the 13-year-old played in the assault. Um, it's, it's too busy cleaning up the streets. Yeah, so what they wrote was the 13-year-old girl's involvement in the incident uh, was identified through investigations, and subsequently she was arrested. I, they go into a 13-year-old's house and putting handcuffs on her and taking her in. I, this is getting all a little strange, and they're not explaining this to anybody. Yeah. Uh, I the, guess the three well, adults that assaulted the twelve-year-old, they're, they're no problems. They got away scot-free. But well, they're not even asking for them. But you would the, think they'd be on CCTV there. The thirteen-year-old criminal mastermind is now behind bars. <laughs> Darwin is safe again, Chris. Well, look, I think that's it. I think the city is gripped now. Yeah. Uh, in and turn the bat light off. Everything's yeah. sorted. Well, I still want to know a little bit more. I think the city's still eagerly awaiting with great anticipation the next chapter of this drama to be revealed by police in the next installment, which we imagine will be Friday. So, uh, okay. Well, as I always like to do, um, I like to take a positive out out of everything, Chris, and you're forever telling me how they're not reporting on things. So good on them for reporting on this.
yeah, parts of it <laughs> anyway, like even it vague enough it's so that we're all interested, I guess, yeah. still because yeah. well, now we want to know how this drama does play out and how who's connected. Wait, mm. wait, who's the 13? Yeah, is she calling the shots? Is it the adults? Yeah, yeah. Is it what about the 12 year? What about the Asian woman of Asian appearance? Yeah, the she's, purple? she's so the mysterious, purple. that purple Asian lady. <laughs> yeah. And then you get into stereotypes that way. You got to be well, careful. I, and the police, not I you. Didn't I didn't think you're allowed to mention people's yeah, ethnicity yeah. anymore. I thought no, that was banned years ago. But yeah. obviously, it's not that ethnicity. It's just other ones you're not allowed to mention. <laughs> but Chris, careful, careful. We're we're coming. We're trampling very close to being woke here. So, just, uh, <laughs> well, I just I, I'm just finding it so strange the way that the police have crafted this little mystery for us with just these yeah. different characters you gotta beware of tropes you gotta beware of, of of archetypes like that you don't want yeah the dragon lady being involved here i don't know what <laughs> what they're implying and she's dressed in purple and who knows what she's yeah. up to so we're not saying we don't know yeah there's a 13 year old there's a 12 year old there's three adults just, an asian woman we I, do know that an asian woman caught a bus that's all we know at this stage <laughs> and that she was allegedly assaulted by somebody on the way to moyle right by a group of girls by a group of girls so there's also a group of girls now we're the 13 year old 12 year old in there well that's what yeah. it's starting to look like i guess yeah, but like yeah, i said right. you know we gotta wait for the next installment Indy police are drip feeding this like you would an old cereal in a newspaper from like yeah. 100 years ago. It's, where it's like a good modern day social media post. It's coming out in parts. Yeah. I like it. So hopefully we get to the bottom of it now. Now we're all invested in it. All right. Well, we'll, we'll wait for the next gripping episode <laughs> to be released at a date in the future. Uh, look, let's move to the next story. A bit of a serious one, but <clears throat> police have ruled out foul play in a human skull discovery north of Catherine, Chris. Yeah, that's right, Pete. Just tonight now on Thursday night, they have uh, they have ruled out foul play. Now, this one, this, this kind of stuff got a little strange too this week. But, and last week, I don't think we talked about it last week, but there were uh, skeletal remains <laughs> and a human skull found uh, just up here at Lee Point Beach. Um, right. which is very unusual. And uh, yeah. uh, so police were investigating now in less than a week. By the, that was on the Wednesday. Police didn't let anyone know until Friday because they didn't want the scene contaminated, I guess, or anyone showing up there. So they waited till Friday till the public was made aware of this. And then on Tuesday, um, somebody's walking north of Catherine and they stumble across human remains and, and a skull. They said what appeared to be a, human skull uh so now police put out a statement about that they did not provide as many details including you know like they did at the the lead point each one that you know we've got forensic teams working around the clock we're going to find out what happened here this one they didn't say exactly where it was outside of catherine they didn't say what was happening with that um now we do know late today though they've come back and they've said that they've closed their investigation into that discovery of a human skull north of catherine stating that the remains were from a quote historic traditional burial right so um yeah at casuarita beach oh, no, no catherine. sorry so this one this yeah, one's catherine, to catherine. Sorry, yeah, catherine yeah the catherine remains so so how do uh, they how do they determine that like well, so they said that they work closely with heritage officers, the Aboriginal Areas Protection Authority, 
and uh, what they're calling other specialist teams. Right. No idea what that means. Have been heavily involved, they said, in attempting to determine the origin of the remains. Mm. Uh, investigations indicate these remains derived from a historic traditional burial, and as such, our role can be concluded, said Acting Commander Kirsten Engels. Uh, police would like to thank all the government agencies and organizations that assisted Right. Uh, and we're led to believe investigations are still continuing into those skeletal remains found near Lee Point Beach last week because we haven't got yeah, an update yeah. on that yet. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so uh, it's a week. I don't know. We're, yeah, mm. weird discoveries. In yeah, the that is. Bush. So I guess there must have been other things around the burial site because, I mean, just you would think, the yeah. human skull alone wouldn't tell you much. But yeah. if there's traditional things, what maybe some. I don't know, like leaves or things that they use. Yeah, in stones. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and look or at it. Or ash or whatever. Yeah, um, or how long it had been there. I mean, we don't know. Uh, yeah, and it seems that it's taken the police over 48 hours to determine mm. that, which seems a bit odd that they would have been able to do that quicker. But anyway, that's what they're saying for that one. And yeah, as we said, near Lee Point Beach, that was kind of in some scrub area there right. away from the beach that one was very weird and we still not yeah, right. about that. well I'm, yeah. I'm pleased that they've resolved it to a point but you know i want to be having this conversation with you one day chris and the words peter falconio get mentioned <laughs> we, we have spoken about him a bit recently and uh, yeah. Got to be nice for his family, wouldn't it? Just to put that to bed finally. It's yeah, I saw those stories in the Daily Mail and elsewhere yeah. last week about that. Yeah, yeah. Look, anytime that um, you know that 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 really has still just kind of gripped everybody here in the Northern yeah. Territory, and I think across Australia. And anytime, like I was telling you, we'd run a story about uh, remains found in a uh, remote area, yeah, and uh, on a station somewhere, and everyone's wow. And we got like hundred thousand reads on that, and it was yeah. um. Yeah, because people are still wanting to know what happened to Peter Falconio and yeah. his remains. So, yeah, yeah. Every time these come up, I think that that does kind of uh, come into people's minds. So, um, yeah, who knows? Someday, yeah, are we going to get there? Yeah, is it ever going to be solved? I don't know. Yeah, look, you know, I, I, I feel comforted in the fact that uh, we talked about a number of different things over the years and. Something you've said to me once upon a time has always stuck with me, and I've, I've requoted it to many people, and that is the truth always comes out in the end. So, <laughs> you know, maybe mm. who knows when or whatever, but yeah. maybe one day he'll be found and, you know, the family can get some sort of, um, oh, I don't know what the word is, closure for that. Um, but just touching on a point that you mentioned there, that that's obviously pretty low readership for you if there's only a hundred thousand readers. Because oh, yeah. I, I did hear on the rumor mill that some stories get millions of readers. So. Yeah. <laughs> We've been accused of that, Pete. I can say <laughs> that. Uh, well, I don't know. Maybe if you added everything up, yeah, aggregate <laughs> <But> score. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's rare that we're hitting a million, but um, yeah. hey, we'll keep aiming for the stars, man. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, let me tell you, when we started this podcast, we didn't expect the amount of downloads we've had. So, yeah, and they add up. possible. They yeah. sure do. All right, let's move to the next story. And uh, this is one that's close to a lot of people's hearts because obviously um, it's very, very difficult to find workers in the NT at the moment. So, the uh, NT is seeking more skilled workers uh, from overseas uh, to address a, a very ongoing shortage that we've got. 
Yeah, look, this is the latest, Pete, and it's kind of the first real drive since the pandemic uh, to bring in these overseas skilled workers. And we've heard a lot about the, the shortages in so many areas. Um, they're, they're focusing this time here on, uh, well, first off, I guess we should say that's the Offshore General Skilled Migration Program, the GSM. Uh, yeah, like I said, for the first time before the COVID-19 pandemic began, uh, yeah, it'll provide workers, uh, well, trying to get workers to move here who meet the government's employment criteria. And they'll be able to, to obtain a five-year provisional visa, which could lead to permanent residency. Now, these are in um, uh, areas such as, they said, health, science, finance, agriculture, construction, telecommunications, information technology, and, of course, hospitality where yeah. we uh, usually get a lot of uh, overseas workers yeah. coming for that. But yeah, look, uh, that's yeah the five-year provisional visa now being offered, which could lead to permanent residency. Uh, the program submission criteria have been revised now this year to, to uh, I guess, focus on more highly experienced employees and high-priority occupations who have also, I guess, established family connections and support in the territory. That's a big one. We'll get people in. Have uh, verifiable job offers from territory businesses, the government said. Uh, there's also the Business Innovation and Investment Program, um, which provides those same five-year provisional visas uh, for entities or anyone who wants to live and invest and do business or entrepreneurial activities in the territory. Um, so Files said the program will help more businesses find staff to ensure the business keeps moving. This is about uh, not about just encouraging people to move to the territory for the short term. We want to incentivize them to stay. She said, we'll always look at innovative ways to adapt programs we have underway to make a difference to locals and fill gaps where we can. Um, yeah, the great Paul Kirby came out and he said uh, words um <laughs> related to this you know stuff like right, we're working with business to address yeah. ongoing worker shortages that's yeah, great paul and delivering a skilled <laughs> and diverse workforce we would expect nothing less he did add at uh, one point here that the government expects to attract about 1400 people through the latest push but is aiming to attract 3,000 people a year on quote these types of programs in the future uh, though he could not say how that would be achieved. <laughs> <laughs> right. Of course. Uh, yeah. yeah. You know, this is Ray Paul Kirby. Uh, <laughs> he's unable to tell us. He just says, ah, you know what? We should really double the input that we're getting. Well, how you want to do that, Paul? I don't know. Let's just double it. I, I don't know how we're supposed to do this. Um, <laughs> we got a budget for that. Listen, I said double it. <laughs> <laughs> so, look, all power to them. I hope that they can. We definitely need population boost here. And yeah. we need then skilled people would be the best, wouldn't they, to bring in. Um, It'd be a change. Yeah. So, you know, and this is a lack of details maybe on things too. I mean, yeah, the five-year provisional thing with the possibility of becoming permanent is great, but what else do they offer? And I think they got to start getting yeah. a little more and they should be putting this if they have other offer, if they have other th incentives, I guess, to put, in, put it in yep. the release, put it in the yep. statement. A so couple of weeks know. in Bali every year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, yeah, I just hope that they do stay innovative or get innovative, I guess, in the first place. 
place and try and really attract people here and in other places. Yeah. But um, you know, it's government you're referring to, Chris. <laughs> yeah, sadly, I know. I know. So. Uh, yeah. Population will stay the same. <laughs> well, I mean, someone asked me the population of the NT the other day, and I said, uh, actually, they asked me about you know Greater Darwin. I said, well, it's about one hundred and twenty thousand, give or take. And they said, has it always been that? And I said, pretty consistently, it's been that forever. Now I know everybody was, you know, worried about the mass exodus that was taking place in two thousand and eighteen. But I think the net result was about 3,000 people or something. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it wasn't earth-shattering. Yeah. Um, and, of course, that soon turned around once COVID hit. So, you know, we went from rents being a lot cheaper than they had been and things were quite affordable to rents going through the roof and there being no um, availability. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's so quickly too. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, all right. Well, look, let's look at our final story. And uh, the government features in this one as well. Um, they're set to destroy the banana plants again as yes. banana freckle outbreak grows throughout the NT. They are coming for your banana plants again. Yeah. Yeah. And we remember yeah. this when this happened years ago. Uh, Wow. Yeah. A lot of outcry from people. A lot of people saying it was a heavy handed approach. And I think the yeah. government this time saying, well, and at least to this point, it's something like, uh, well, we're only going to destroy your plants if you have the fungus, if you have the banana freckle right? yeah. disease yeah. on them, we'll destroy them. If you don't have it, it can remain, you know, you can keep them. But they said that they'll continue doing surveillance on that to ensure now, where this comes from, and I think we've talked about it a couple of months ago, it was in the rum jungle in Bachelor region where they they found this. I just uh, love that name. <laughs> rum jungle. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so they found them. They, they checked 1,800 properties territory-wide. They found that uh, the, the disease... Uh, uh, was an infected banana plants and plant materials from 42 identified properties. Now, the properties where the disease has now been found include Middle Point, Marikai, Fly Creek, and on the Tiwi Islands. Uh-huh. So it's made it its way yeah, over yeah. there. So that's yeah. starting to become a concern. Yep. Um, now, luckily, the government says that they have a new response plan recently approved by something called the National Management Group. Ah, yes. It's pretty official, that bunch. <laughs> which will now see plant biosecurity personnel from the Department of Industry and Trade working to eliminate the disease through the removal of those plants. Um, yeah, it's, I think the doctor here, uh, Chief Plant Health Officer, Dr. Ann Walters, said the response plan includes consultations and working with affected property owners. Now they have to say that because last time people got a lot of, got very angry that they weren't being consulted, that their plans were being ripped out, right. that they were out money, that they still haven't been compensated. Uh, the latest positive samples, she said, show the banana freckle is more widespread than was initially thought. 
So that's going to make people nervous. And certainly the industry who, you know, earlier was saying that, that, that they were happy to work with the government, um, that they wanted to, uh, to ensure that it didn't spread, of course, the strict biosecurity decan- decontamination protocols would be observed. Um, and specimens are being taken from plants on infected properties, allowing biosecurity personnel to know more about the disease and how it has spread this time um yeah and the thousands and thousands of banana plants were destroyed uh, across the top end after the first outbreak hit in 2013. Mm. the commercial banana industry was literally wiped out during that eradication program uh program had caused massive anger from territorians who accused the government of poor communication and taking heavy-handed approach so um here we are again, it seems like. We'll see yeah. what happens. Hopefully they can contain this and keep it limited at this point. But if you're going from rum jungle to Tiwi Islands, so it's that's a fairly know. hefty breeze, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. 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 So you would assume just, it's gonna be elsewhere. Just one question on that, Chris. Um, you mentioned that uh the government are gonna be working with effective properties and effective property owners. Affected owners, yeah. Oh, affected. I thought you said effective. I was gonna say, what are they doing with the ones who aren't effective? <laughs> yeah, they hire them. <laughs> um, <laughs> they promote them. <laughs> yeah, that's right. uh, yeah. So we'll see look, where this yeah, one goes. But I'm definitely not laughing about the banana frame no, because no, as you said, it did wipe out the industry. Yeah. You know, just under 10 years ago. And and the thing is, and no one's explained this to me, and I'm sure there's a reason for it, so I'm not questioning this side of it, but banana freckle doesn't affect humans. So no. it just makes, it just discolors the, the skin mm-hmm. on the bananas. So yeah, um, there must be a reason why we can't eat them and why they have to destroy them all. But can you imagine if you're a farmer and someone coming onto your property and saying, right, this whole crop needs to be destroyed? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. And they're just, well, can we talk about this? Now <laughs> we're digging it out. Yeah. And so that's why I think they're trying to avoid the mistakes of last time and the hostility that that created in the old well. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we'll see. But yeah, it's starting to definitely sounding like, and you got to feel for the industry too, because that's going to, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like do. you said, yeah, it'll, it'll be devastating again. And um, yeah. yeah, just getting a sense that that's where it's going. Yeah. Again, but you, so. you just said something there that, that, that really um, triggered something in my mind. So, they're going to uh, look at the mistakes of the past and try and rectify them this time. It seemed like that, yeah. Right, okay. Well, that's good. So yeah. in relation to banana freckle, they're going to do that. So maybe let's just make that a government-wide thing, you know? <laughs> no, that's Treasury. It's going too far, sir. <laughs> <laughs> too far. Okay. We can't have that. Sorry, that's a, just a wild, yeah. wacky suggestion. No lessons will be learned here. No. <laughs> Look, that they're saying that they're going to do lessons. <laughs> yeah, they're saying they're going to do this. Now, are they going to do this? No, probably not. I'm sure it'll, it'll turn into a stuff up again. Yeah, well, let's hope for the farmer's sake things get sorted out because that is not good. Yep. Now, uh, Chris, due to the um, breeze being cut on the public salary, public service salaries, i got some good news for you. Well, more jobs. The union's that? back to work, and so is the job of the week. So <laughs> I thought you'd like this little doozy that came past my inbox this week. The NT Department of Health are looking for a media officer. Great. Yes, health and careers opportunities in the Northern Territory. If you want your career to go places, 
then join Department of Health in the Northern Territory. They have a code yellow every... Oh, hang on, that's right. <laughs> the challenges... And the code brown. <laughs> the challenges and opportunities in health and community care in the Territory are like no other in Australia. Ain't oh, that yeah. the truth? Yeah. Um, you will be, if you get this job, if you're lucky enough, you'll be an administrative officer number seven. Remuneration package is 127222 all the way through to 136747 How you qualify for the difference, I am not sure. Sorry, what uh, was that top number again? The top number is 136747. Yeah, yep. Okay. yep. Uh, for further info, contact Lauren Pike on 8999-2741. And uh, good luck with that. The vacancies... Uh, uh, or that vacancy is closing on the 16th of October. Still got 10 days. Um, yeah, you know, that's interesting. I, I I thought that's where Maria Bilius ended up. You remember her? She was Gunner's director I remember the communications. Name. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. Gunner's main media person. And we heard she bounced around. She might be in families, territory families, which is you don't want to be in territory families when you're doing in, media. Yeah. yeah, that's a nightmare. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting. Yeah. That they're still looking for people. I thought like a lot of them just kind of fled the fifth floor and go into those type of jobs in the department because it's safe. It's easy. And they still pay, what, 130000 Yeah, and, and that's a media officer. So that's, um, yeah. I guess, a sort of a mid-tier role. Um, as, <laughs> as you and I well know, if it's some of the um, more uh, roles, you know, higher positions as, as such, they don't even put the price for those because, uh, you know, yeah. don't put the salary for that. Just let them contact us and we can bowl them over with all the digits. <laughs> you know, the, ne- the next time, and you just reminded me of something there, the next time you have Woody on yep. when I'm not in, um, yeah, ask him about these kind of positions and what happens in these <laughs> okay. departments. Because, like, he was okay. telling me a story the other day. But it's probably better that he tells it. But how they create these positions that they get into and then they're like – Oh, whoa, I'm way over my competency <laughs> here. I'm going to way in way over my head. I'm going to create a job that is exactly like my job so that someone yeah. else can do it. Yeah. And it's even like called the same thing. <laughs> and they're, they're doing the same job, but somebody's competent. Well, to a certain degree, more so than the person who first got the job. Yeah. And they, and they keep working like that. Like they've got all these positions and this is how department of chief minister functions. Right. And yeah, cabinet. Yeah. So, but anyway, I, I, yeah, I don't know all the details, but that Woody does next time ask him because ooh, like you, yeah, you can save some money. Well, I, I made the joke earlier, but it comes off fact. I, I mean, I've told the story before, but not for a while when I was seeing at the Qantas club, probably 12 months ago. And there was the four government workers who were, clearly going somewhere on a holiday together, and they were discussing. I mean, I was sitting two feet away from them, and they were discussing how you deal with problem employees. <laughs> you promote them. <laughs> and I just I honestly was gobsmacked that they were, A, having this conversation in front of me, but they were openly saying, oh, it's just it's the easiest way. You just promote them. <laughs> problem solved. <laughs> that explains so much. Too much for my liking, Chris. Yeah. Anyway, mate, thank you as always. It's been uh, insightful. Yeah, great. Thanks, Pete. We'll see you next week. We will indeed. That was Chris Walsh from the NT Independent Online Newspaper. Weekends with Walshie back again next week. 
on the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition. We'll catch you then. You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story Podcast on all leading podcasting platforms or go to territorystory.com. The Territory Story Podcast, thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.